something here called the presbytery, which some of you may or may not be familiar with. That's the governing body of our congregation. A bunch of ministers and elders from all the churches in our region get together roughly monthly, and that's the, the way we uh, give leadership to the local, local congregations in our denomination. And um, about a year or two ago, uh, a, a study was done which produced some shocking results. Um, the treasurer of the presbytery uh, did an analysis of the givings and the expenses and so forth of all, all the 17 churches in our presbytery and uh, found out that of the 17 churches, there were only th- uh, there were 13 churches, there were 13 churches which essentially were not bringing in enough money through the givings of, its, uh, of their people in order to pay the bills. Uh, in other words, they were living on resources, bequests and so forth which um, had been given to the church over the years. And that if you were to ask them uh, to estimate, or, and some have already done this, they can tell you pretty much when those resources will be depleted and their church will have to close. 13 of 17 churches in our presbytery are in that position. So it was somewhat shocking. Uh, only four, which aren't. Um, and, and, and it kind of... You know, you face that reality, you hear of that sort of thing, and you wonder, uh, what makes a church thrive? We started last week to talk about what makes churches thrive, uh, and what makes churches fail? What's the difference? What goes on in some that doesn't go on in others? And as I said last week, we began to talk about our church and, and, and how we might thrive to even greater extents going into the future. We used the uh, movie Up to start the discussion. You know, it's the movie, and you can see a picture from the, the movie of, of an old man, Mr. Fredrickson, who had a lifelong dream of um, going to Paradise Falls in South America. And it just didn't ever happen in the end when they were foreclosing on his house and forcing him into a retirement home and so forth. He, he filled a lot of balloons with helium, and it, the balloons lifted his house into the air, and it took him to Paradise Falls. His dream destination was achieved. And I said to IPC, what is our dream destination? How co- how, what is it that we're looking forward to in order to, uh, to, 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 to live the dream and, and see vision fulfilled? And, um, you know, I said, what is it that, you know, uh, you, you know, that vision, well, at the very heart of it, we have to admit that the core of that reality has got to be a thriving congregation. We've got to be a church that's alive in Christ and passionate about the things of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus would do and so forth. And we're using the model of up, in, and out, and we're traveling from up to in today. But the up is developing our relationship with God, each of us, because we corporately are the church. And when we're thriving in our relationship with God, and we have that upright, then all things are possible. Without it, the in and the out won't take place, right? But then also we, 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 we need to talk, and we're going to do that today, about the in. How do we develop our relationships with one another? Because when we do, we will thrive. I'll go so far as to say today that if we don't get the in right, we will not thrive. We will not go nearly as far as God wishes to take us. And then next week, we're going to talk about the out. How do we develop, our, develop relationships with people in the community who need the love and truth of Jesus? Of course, that will cause us to thrive in, in a significant way, too. But today, the in. How do we thrive internally? How do we really come to life in terms of our relationships with one another and thus as, uh, thrive as a church? Well, the Bible calls the in um, 
Well, I'm going to give you the Greek word because I found that a lot of people know the Greek word. I don't often quote Greek on Sunday mornings. Most of the New Testament was written in Greek. How many people know the word koinonia or have heard of it before? Way up in the air, let me see. See, a lot of people do. I'm not sure why. You're all Greek scholars, I suppose. But anyway, koinonia is a powerful biblical concept that we have somehow lost an understanding of. And I want to try to give you that understanding today. In the, in the New Testament, it is described using these words in English. Koinonia is sometimes translated fellowship. Sometimes it's community. Sometimes it's shared life. Sometimes it's participation. But this idea that the Bible brings to us, um, I want to tell you, when we can take hold of this, if we will take hold of this, this church will just thrive in Christ. A lot of people think that uh, fellowship is an activity, something that we do. You know, some churches build a fellowship hall, and then the idea is that we're all going to go there and do something, right? Uh, sometimes we think we're going to have fellowship in our coffee times. We're all going to go grab a cup of coffee and talk to one another, and that is fellowship. I want to tell you, fellowship is not first and foremost an activity. It just isn't. It's a reality. It's a spiritual reality that's rooted in God, okay? I'm going to get theological with you for a minute, okay? So kind of tune in and don't tune me out. I won't do it for too long. But this is the dynamic that God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has lived in koinonia for eternity. God the Father loves the Son. God the Son loves the Father. All in the context of God the Holy Spirit. And they have lived in community, deep, loving, intimate, open uh, fellowship, relationship with one another for all time. They share this, this life together. Three persons, one God. There's an intimate intimacy, a unity, a community that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit share together. And listen to me, into this fellowship, into this unity, into this deep relating or relationship that God the Father, God has within uh, himself, those of us who come to trust in Jesus are invited. I want you to get this. <laughs> Stretch the mind a little bit. We are invited into the fellowship, into the community of God by virtue of our faith in Jesus. So when we come to trust in Jesus and choose to follow Jesus, when we come to believe in him, we are united with him. We've sung about it already today. He is in us and we are in him. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. And he, as he participates in the fellowship, in the koinonia of the Godhead, so do we. Cool? Anybody think that's cool? Maybe only the theological types here today do. <laughs> But we do, my friends, we do. And I, I want to tell you, it is a spiritual reality that just is. Let me read to you. 1 John 1, 1 to 4 says this. We proclaim to you, this is John speaking, who also wrote the Gospel of John. It begins in a similar way. And he's all, all about, by the way, he repeats it over and over here. I have seen Jesus, and in having seen Jesus, I am now testifying to you. Both the gospel in this book are about that. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He, Jesus, is the word of life. This is the one who is life itself. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. How many times has he used the reference to seeing? And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have koinonia with us, whatever that is. This deep, 
relationship and fellowship. And our fellowship is with the Father. Note this. Our fellowship as a group of people is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There it is. God the Father in fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We enter into that fellowship and we join Him in it. We are writing these things that you may, so that you may fully share our joy. Something about what I'm going to talk to you about today produces joy in us. Powerful thing. So you see this thing. The, 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 the fellowship of God is something we participate in, in, participate in. But there's more. Because we have fellowship with Jesus, because we have this intimate connection and relationship with Christ, we then are united to one another. We'll go on in the same chapter, verses 5 to 7. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we, are, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship, koinonia, with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. You get that, right? You can say, oh, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm living like the world. We are lying to ourselves and to others. We're confused. We're deluded. Uh, then it goes on. We are not practicing the truth, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship, koinonia, with each other and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. So you've got this. We have fellowship in the Godhead through our unity with Jesus. And because of that, then we have fellowship with one another. It's just a spiritual reality. It's not something we do. It's something that is. You get it? And the only question that we have to face, the only question that is before us, is whether we will exercise that fellowship, that unity, that community, that sharing of our lives with one another in Christ. Some people choose to and some people don't. You know, it's like for some folks, it's, it's just not a big deal. It may not even recognize all the fellowship existing as, the, as it does and they just go about their business and they don't participate in any act, active fellowship or community. It just is. And other people say, man, this is a huge resource. This is a spiritual dynamic. I want to jump in with both feet. I want to participate in this. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 describes uh, uh, the early church. Jesus has died, he rose to new life, he ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter preaches this powerful, spirit-filled message. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus on that day, and, and it's the first church. It's a mega church in Jerusalem. And this is what it says about them as, as the description begins in chapter 2, or uh, begins from chapter 2, verse 42 and following. It says, all the believers devoted themselves, and before we go on to four things, by the way, I want to tell you, this church was a thriving church because I would say, at least in part, the things it devoted itself to. They are just alive in Christ, and they, they begin this movement that transitions the whole world. And there are four things that they are devoted to. They are passionate about. They make great priority in their lives. They give themselves to. And I want to read them to you. Three of them you'll get. Very often in our culture, the fourth we don't get so much. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And everybody will stand back and say, I get that. You know, listen, listening to the teaching of the apostles, we have it in the Bible now, John being one of them, and, 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 and learning the truth of God and be, allowing it to transform our minds and our hearts, that's really important for a thriving church. I'm going to skip over one, and we'll go to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Everybody goes, yeah, I get that. Communion's important. By the way, it is that time in particular when we commune, we have community with Jesus like no other time. It's a powerful spiritual reality where we exercise our unity with Jesus. And we get that. That's important. And they were devoted to prayer. Again, a lot of people go, yeah, I mean, if, if we're not a praying church, we're not going to thrive because prayer moves the hand of God and he moves in our lives and uh, incredible things happen. 
After this verse in verse 43, it talks about how the apostles were doing signs and wonders and everybody was left in awe because of what God was doing in response to their praying. So the church is thriving because of these things. And then we come to this idea, of, and they were devoted to fellowship, koinonia, shared life in Jesus, community, connectedness. And I want to tell you, in our culture, which is so individualistically wired, we don't get this very easily. These people were absolutely and passionately committed to sharing the life of Jesus together as opposed to doing it on their own. Fellowship. Um, number one, fellowship's not an activity primarily. It's a reality that we can activate. Number two, I, I want to define it by what it's not. It is not casual conversation. You can build a fellowship hall and have people go there and talk. It doesn't produce fellowship, biblically speaking, koinonia. You know, we have coffee time after the service. It's not necessarily fellowship because, you know, a lot of times, you know, and it's not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. We talk about the weather and we talk about crops and we talk about the Blue Jays. Yay, Jays. Go Jays, right? Yeah? And that's not bad. That's good. And we need to do that. But my friends, it's not. It is not this, this deep biblical community or the sharing of life in Jesus that is defined by this word koinonia. It's just having a nice time over coffee. Let me say this too, uh, koinonia, fellowship, is not socializing. Being together does not produce fellowship necessarily. It just doesn't. That's just being together and talking to one another. Koinonia is literally the sharing uh, of our lives at a deep level. It is sharing the reality of what we know in Jesus. That's what it is. And I want to tell you today, it has a great it has great potential both for our lives personally and for our life as a church going forward. We need to discover this. We need to enter into it. We need to take hold of it and activate this spiritual reality that is. You see, essentially what it is is loving, uh, you know, having a loving unity and a relationship with one another for those whose lives are caught up in Christ. Um, and it can be powerful. So what do we do? We get together in our church, particularly in small groups, and we pray together. That's sharing our life in Jesus, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, it's us coming together, invoking the name of Jesus, asking Christ, asking God the Father in his name to accomplish things among us. We're being united by prayer. We're sharing our belief in him and in his presence among us. We study the Bible together to hear God's voice and to know that God by his spirit is at work among us. You know, when we're struggling and hurting, the Bible says comfort one another with the comfort of God. Literally, God's comfort is given through his people to, the, to those who are suffering and hurting. This is God. This is Christ activated in us and moving through us and among us. The Bible says that, you know, we are, we are to uh, bear with each other. That, that is when either I or someone else acts like an idiot and we deserve rejection and condemnation and people just to walk away from me. You love me anyway. You hang in. You're patient. Because community is, and we have to honor it. We bear with each other. It says we have to bear one another's burdens. I have this picture in my mind of, of, of various times in life people are just burdened. There's a weight on their shoulders, and, and their shoulders sag, and life is hard. We need to come along in these smaller groups and, and help lift that person up and strengthen them as we literally bear the task that they are bearing. We share life together in Christ as we do so. The list is long. We are to confront one another in love. You know all the one another's in the New Testament? You know? Someone is, is sort of, the Bible says, caught in sin, and we just, oh, we'll leave them alone because that's their problem and God will take No, confront one another in love. Go to them and say, I love you too much to not talk to you about this. 
And we enter in and we say, Jesus is here and I'm going to pray for you and, and, and maybe we'll set up accountability. You know, and, and together, koinonia, togetherness is a big word also. Together, God does something in taking people forward as opposed to just living individually or isolated from one another. But at the heart of this whole idea is our sharing, the shared life that we have in Jesus. And by that, I mean the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's lots of good that we can share. There's lots of bad stuff we can share, and there's ugly stuff we can share in our lives. I was going to say just there, I don't know about you, but I do know about you because I know me. You know, and we can come into this place of relationship where we can open up to each other. We can get real with one another in relationships. You know, we can be really honest with each other. We can take down the walls that we have built, separating ourselves from other people, causing us to live in isolation by telling them what's really going on in our lives. You see, the stuff that Jesus deals with, the stuff that Jesus knows, the people of Jesus can know too. And God intends it that way. You see, because of where we're at, we so often live with these walls built around us that we're not really willing to share who we really are. But I want to tell you, my friends, what we need to find our safe and loving, listen to me, safe and loving and trusting and grace-oriented environments where we can be real with each other and share our lives in Christ. You see, I want to tell you, when we can do that, there Jesus will meet us. And there Jesus will work in a profound and in a, in, in, in a significant way. Now listen, there are two enemies of biblical community, at least, that I want to identify today. Two things that are part of life where, which um, kind of keep biblical, deeper biblical community from actually forming. Neither of them, by the way, um, belong in the kingdom of God, but they're very, very common. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to examine your own hearts as I talk about open sharing of all of ourselves with other people in loving, trusting community. Number one is fear. Um... This statement, I'll never share myself with people because to do so is dangerous. Whether you verbalize it or not, that thought is very present and alive and powerful in the minds of many people. You know, if I share my stuff with you, you will reject me, you will mock me, you will think less of me, you will use this information someday against me. And out of fear, I'm going to live with the walls, not only high, but also thick. You don't get to know me. Number two is shame. Um, if you really knew me, I would be humiliated and feel shame to such an extent that I could not survive it. It's a reality in the lives of a lot of people. Um, both beliefs, I want to tell you, come from the assumption that we live in a graceless world where people treat you as you deserve, a graceless world where people treat you as you deserve. That's not the kingdom of God. And we believe that people, that we live in a hostile world which lacks love. That's not the kingdom of God, is it? And I want to tell you, in such a world, no one engages deep Christian community. No one moves toward true fellowship by sharing themselves with other people. Nobody. My friends, what we need to do here at IPC is create small environments of grace, of love, of trust, of openness, and of vulnerability. Think about that last word. I will be vulnerable with you. 
which means I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to show you something of myself which you could use to hurt me. But because I know you love me and I know because I know um, uh, you are gracious and you will be gracious toward me, I'm going to take the risk of telling you who I really am. And I want to tell you, my friends, if we can engage this, God will come alive among us in a way that he hasn't otherwise. If you want to experience God profoundly and be changed, engage koinonia, deep biblical community, the sharing of life, the sharing of the life in Jesus that you know and that we know together. Last year, my small group experience uh, was my Pastors of Excellence uh, year. And I've spoken of this before. A bunch of pastors get together uh, because someone realized, and it's still the case, 1,500 pastors a, a month leave ministry in the United States to never return again because it's really hard. And somebody said, we got to do something about this. So they started this Pastors of Excellence course and, or program, and, and, and it's, just, it's having a very wonderful impact in the lives of a lot of people. So, um, you know, essentially what, uh, you know, I did about a year ago was go down there and, and I was one of six pastors who, who learned to love and trust one another with ourselves. Honestly, openly, and vulnerably. Um, we learned to tear down the walls, uh, which are often there even in pastors' lives and sometimes in particular in pastors' lives, uh, and get real with each other. Um, we could be totally ourselves. We were not there as pastors. Nobody had an expectation of me as a pastor because I wasn't their pastor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we came to a place where we could trust one another uh, and, and really be open. Just six guys getting real and honest with each other before God and with God. Um, huge blessing came in my life because of it. Huge um, sometimes sin was shared. Pastors share sin. Pastors sin? Yeah, pastors sin. At other times, people shared brokenness in their lives, woundedness, long-standing hurts. Um, but there was no judgment and there was no rejection. And we learned not to fear. And we learned not to be ashamed with one another. On the last retreat, which happened in May, we were asked to write a lament to God. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's like um, the Psalms of lament. There are Psalms in the Bible, of course, where the psalmist gets really honest in their fellowship koinonia with God, and they just kind of tell God that they're ticked at him. They were angry at him, or they were annoyed at him about various things that God had allowed to happen in their lives, or, you know, why do all the evil people seem to succeed and the good people don't? You know, those sorts of really honest interactions with God. And we were asked to write our own lament, particularly about um, a hurt which uh, God had allowed in our lives at some point. Um, just to get really honest with God as people, you know? Um, so we went off on our own, and we sat down and kind of quiet place, and, and I wrote my lament to God about a wound in my life, long-standing. It was hard to do. I mean, it was really hard. It was very painful to kind of confront your own stuff. You know, tears flowed, and I told God about, why did you let this happen? Well, you know, I just got really honest. I fellowshiped with my God. 
Um, it was deep stuff. Now we came back together after that exercise, and Chuck Congram, who was the leader of my group for the year, um, basically, uh, when we all gathered and sat down together, he said, okay, who would like to read their lament? <laughs> and even though we had developed, honestly, this great, trusting, loving, gracious fellowship together, there was silence. I'm thinking, <laughs> like, I know how hard this was to write. You want me to read it out loud? You know, and it wasn't, in my head, it wasn't so much with these guys. It was like, I don't want to do that because it's going to hurt again. But I had, honestly, a deep sense in my heart that God was saying to me, Chris, you're the guy who has to read his lament. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll read it, Chuck. And um, I want to tell you, it was a whole lot harder to read than it was to write. More tears. Um, but I knew I was in a safe place. And I, I knew I was with people who loved me. I'm feeling emotion now. Um, and I was able to get through it. Lots of pauses. <laughs> Lots of Kleenex handed my way, right? And then I, when I was finished, finally, Chuck said, okay, guys, we've got to gather around Chris and we have to lay hands on him. We have to pray for him, uh, for his healing. And I want to tell you, I encountered in that moment a profound experience of God and of His healing in my life. My friends, that was true biblical fellowship, community, the sharing of our lives together in Jesus. For Jesus was there loving and being gracious through these other guys. And he was there by his spirit bringing healing to my soul. Guess I'm here today to ask you the question, is there anything in you that longs for this? I know when I talk about getting really real with people, taking down the walls, sharing your stuff, your sin, your brokenness, your woundedness. A lot of people are going to run, want to run away. That's the most natural human thing in the world. A lot of people are going to say, Chris, are you out of your mind? I've never done that, and many people haven't. And many people have thick and high walls, and they want to stay there. They want to live there, because they think that's what's safe. And in a sense, it is. You don't tell anybody your stuff. You're not, you're not going to get hurt and you're not going to feel shame and so on. But I want to tell you, this is not what God intends for us. It's just not. There's this concept captured in the Greek biblical word koinonia, which says to us, my people, Jesus speaking, I long for you to find me in the midst of my people where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am among them. And he wants us to know safe, loving environments where we can be open and where God can touch us deeply and change us. How do you create this? I know we're at the front end of uh, small groups together at the life of our church. Those of you who are participating, will you listen carefully? Number one, I would suge suggest that as you begin your year together that you agree, and I know you've 
write covenants and you set goals and establish commitments of confidentiality and so forth, but that you agree together to engage in true, loving, gracious fellowship and that you will share your life together as the people of Jesus. Just make it a goal. Get committed to it. See what God does. Number two, can I suggest if this is not something you've engaged before, that you begin by taking baby steps. What I mean by that is um, don't trust people until they prove themselves trustworthy. You know what I mean by that? (laughs) There are some people you shouldn't open your heart to because they might hurt you. And you need to discover the people in your group aren't those people. So it's like you, you, put your, you dip your toe in the water. You try it just a little bit, a little vulnerability first, and see what happens. I want to tell you, if you're with trustworthy people who will honor your giving of yourself to them, you'll know it, and you'll know it pretty quickly. And if you are with people who are not trustworthy or not worthy of you being that open and honest with them, you're going to find that out too. If you're with trustworthy people, then after the first you know, dip of the toe in the water. You can try a little more and a little more and a little more and all of a sudden you're just running wild with this thing and God's all over it and you're finding healing and restoration. You're overcoming sin. God shows up and he'll, he'll heal you and touch you. If you find that you're not in a trustworthy group, you better address that with the group and see change happen. And if you don't see change happen, find another group. Give yourself to this move into it slowly and discover a group that is safe in which to share who you are. And number three, uh, when people are courageous enough to share themselves with you, can you respond to them like God responds to them and like he has to you, even if it's you being inside your wall? Um, you see, if somebody comes along and, 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 and shares their sin, somebody comes along and shares their woundedness, if somebody comes along and shares their brokenness, <laughs> we've got to be like Jesus. My guys were in POE. Remarkable. To do this, I want to suggest this very important thing. We have got to give up the illusion that we're all Okay. We have got to give up the illusion and the fallacy that we're all okay. Because what the Bible says is, and what you know in your heart of hearts is we're not all okay. That's why we need a Savior to heal us. You know, I I talked earlier about two kinds of churches, the churches that thrive and churches that are failing. And I I can say to you with absolute confidence (laughs) that the churches that are failing are the churches where people show up on a Sunday morning and otherwise and say, I'm fine, I'm good, no problems here. Sin in my life, not me. Maybe him, but not me. Not meaning you, but I mean, uh, (laughs) I'm right, (laughs) shouldn't do that, not you. But there's this this thought, it may be be at play in your mind right now, may have been there all your life, that we come to church and we pretend that we're perfect. We pretend everybody else is perfect, we put on this show. You know, we sometimes have, you know, suffer from the illusion that, that nobody has wounds in their lives. Now, whether you know it or not, you have wounds in your life, historic, lasting wounds that interfere with your life today. We have brokenness. It's part of being human. 
And my friends, the God of heaven and earth has come to us in the person of Jesus and he has given us his Holy Spirit to restore us and to make us whole, to heal us. But he doesn't do it when we we live behind a wall in the way that he could even come close to doing it if we tear down the wall and be honest with people and real. We have got to get to a place in our lives. Let me say this. Churches which thrive are churches where the the walls fall away and people encounter God in and through one another in deep biblical community. We have to literally believe that we're all sinners and we're all broken and we're all wounded and we all struggle with sin. And when people share this stuff with us, not be surprised. You go, oh yeah, <laughs> you should hear my story. <laughs> and in one sense, recognize it's, it's normal and not that big a deal. Not to say that God doesn't want to change us, but it's, it's just normal. And when someone has the courage to reveal to you some of what's really going on in them, my friends, we have got to show love and grace just as God has shown us love and grace in profound and life-changing ways. People will watch your facial expression. They will. And if your face isn't right, they will build that wall like that. And they'll shut down. But if they see love and grace in your eyes, be okay and they'll keep going. The words that we speak to them are incredibly important in that moment. To judge them is the worst. The next worst is to say nothing. And the very best is to speak words of love and of affirmation. Thank people for the courage they have shown Thank them for the fact that they have stepped in and taken the risk to be vulnerable and to really encounter koinonia. Tell them it's okay. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that God loves them regardless of what they're going through. And tell them that together in this shared life that we have in Jesus, we will watch God work as he heals and as he restores your life and as he makes you whole. Are you beginning to get it? Are you beginning to see the power of such a thing? Because as you speak, people will encounter Christ. As you look in their eyes, as you affirm, as you love, as you show grace, love and grace will come alive to people. And it will heal them. And it will restore them. In a way that Jesus longs that they be healed and restored. I'm here to ask IPC today, can we do this? I don't know every life group. We get like 20 of them. I don't know what goes on in all those groups. This may be happening in some. I don't know, but I have a deep sense that we need to take this step in order to really thrive as a church. We've got to live the kingdom reality with one another. We've got to be Jesus to each other. And when we do it, can you imagine what God will do in us? How he will just cause us to thrive as people and thrive as a church. Some folks may say, and I, I understand it, Chris, I'm not going there. It makes me too afraid, and I'm not going toward what might become shame in my life. Those are powerful uh, realities, motivators in life, if you would. Let me just say this to you, and I hope to say it with love and with grace, but if, if you want to live the rest of your life in your woundedness, keep the wall thick and high. 
live there. And if you want to struggle with that sin that you can't break free from on your own, and maybe have struggled with for years, live there with isolation. Live on your own without deep koinonia, deep biblical community. And if you have a brokenness in your life, whatever that brokenness might be, and you need healing, and you want to stay there, well, just avoid this thing like the plague. <laughs> but if you really want to find freedom from sin, it's available to you. And if you really want to find healing from your woundedness, and if you really want to see the brokenness mended so that your soul becomes whole, take the risk and discover a safe, loving gracious environment where you can be vulnerable, where you can share who you are with those who, whose lives are caught up in Christ. Activate the fellowship that is. And I want to tell you, God will free you from sin and he will heal you and he will make you whole. He will. I want to ask again by way of conclusion, who'd love this? Some may be fearful of it and want to run away other people go man that is what i need and that is what i want i hope that's your reaction i really do you know one of the one of the things that uh just you know parting word as we go one of the things that we encounter when we really encounter fellowship with god and with one another comes to us in first john 1 verse 3 let me read it to you again it says this we write these things so that you may fully share our joy. <laughs> That's powerful if you just dwell on that for a little while. Fellowship, deep biblical community, the true sharing of our lives with one another in Jesus produces joy in us. And I want to tell you, it produces peace. It produces healing, as I said. It produces victory over sin. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of God. I pray that you'll embrace it. I pray if you're not signed up for a small group, you go sign up right across the hall as you walk out the door. Find a place. Start to exercise this. Be intentional and purposeful about it, life groups. Men's, women's groups, do this. And we will encounter God in a profound and in a new way. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, this uh, human condition that we were born into keeps us afraid. It keeps us isolated from one another. Keeps us in our sin and in our woundedness and in our brokenness. And you come to us in your word, Lord Jesus, and you say, engage koinonia. Activate the fellowship that exists between you and God and you and human beings. Share your lives together in real and honest and open ways, and I will meet you in the midst and there I will heal you. God, I pray for these people. I just ask that, um, that you will give them the courage to step in, whether it be just to sign up today, whether it be to go back to that group that they've been part of before and to dip their toe in the water with just a little bit of vulnerability to see what happens. But Father, our prayer is that as people become vulnerable in this church to one another and they really start to share their, themselves vulnerably, that we can be like you, that we can be people of love and of grace. Um, and the last thing the Lord will do is reject or judge, and the only thing we'll do is embrace and love. 
and stick with that person as you work in their lives. God, come by your spirit and show up in our fellowships and change us that we might thrive as individual people, that we might thrive as a church, that we might be the people you call us to be. Thank you for this powerful word, koinonia. Lord God, let us live it. Let us experience it. And let us know the goodness of what you have for us. And our God, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.